Welcome. Bienvenidos a la Cura Podcast, Decolonizing Latinx Health and Reclaiming Traditional Healing. I'm your host, Francisca Porchas Coronado. This podcast is a project of Mi Gente in collaboration with Resilient Strategies. Mi Gente is a political home of Latinx people that is pro-black, pro-woman, pro-queer, pro-migrant, pro-poor, because our community is all that and more. Resilient Strategies is a healing justice project transforming the impact of state violence on our bodies and the collective as a critical part of liberation. Bienvenidos a todos. This is Francisca Porchas, your host. This is the first of five episodes of La Cura podcast, and it's a pilot series. And we are really excited for you all to listen, to hear what you all think. I hope that this will be a good journey for you all to be with us on. We would love to hear your feedback, and that'll help us figure out what to incorporate for the next season coming later in 2019. But today's conversation ponders a good question, which is, what are we healing from? It's about our pre-colonial ancestral legacy of healing and resilience and the post-colonial trauma that we must heal from. So there's a lot more to that, but this podcast won't be a linear conversation by any means. We do want to begin this journey with some questions that will lay the foundation for the rest of our conversation in the future episodes and also seasons. So we thought this would be a good place to start. So if you're listening to this podcast, that means that you believe we can heal, or at least you're curious about the prospect of it, which is a good place to start from. But heal from what? Why is this necessary? And what is waiting for us on the other side? So to explore some of these questions, we're going to have a conversation today with two very special guests and also two of my friends, Manuel Criollo and Manuel Arciniegas, which is kind of cute that they're both Manuel and Manuela. I didn't plan it that way. Um, so a little bit about who they are. Manuel Arciniegas is a priestess of Afro-Cuban Palo Mayombe and La Regla de Ocha a Reiki practitioner, a Roots drummer, and the founder and director of Legacy Women, an all-women's Afro-Caribbean drumming troupe. Manuela is an apprentice of the Warriors of Embodied Leadership program hosted by Universal Partnership, which helps develop the leadership of people of color in the social justice movement with a somatics transformative leadership for organizing lens. She is committed to the cultural political, and educational, artistic, and social empowerment of marginalized communities of color globally. Manuela is also the interim director of the Andrews Family Fund. She brings over 17 years of experience in cultural arts organizing and education, social justice, youth development, and community organizing. She's currently conducting a dissertation research for her PhD at the CUNY Graduate Center focusing on how Afro-Caribbean religious music creates power and cultural change. Manuel Criollo is an organizer, strategist, popular educator with over 25 years of experience, co-founder of the Four Wind Student Movement Against Proposition 187 in the early 1990s, longtime organizer and former director of organizing with the Labor Community Strategy Center, 
Manuel currently is a PhD candidate in the American Studies in American Studies at the University of New Mexico and coordinator of the UNM Peace and Justice Studies minor program. Born and raised in occupied Los Angeles, currently living in occupied Albuquerque, New Mexico. Welcome both of you. So good to have you. Welcome to La Cura. Um, as I mentioned, this is our first podcast, and so y'all get to be the madrina and padrino of this podcast. Since yes, I love that. <laughs> so we're we're kind of going through a little bit right of passage today with both of you. So so grateful for that. Your blessing this virtual space with your conversation, your voice, your wisdom, your energy. So I like to start the conversation. Although the, your bios are, are pretty impressive, I'd love to start the conversation with just uh, having folks listening and get to know you a little bit more. Um, there's a lot there. And a um, question I love to ask folks is, how did you come to this healing slash community work, which community work, collective work can also be very therapeutic, I think, for a lot of us as traditionally or historically oppressed peoples. So I'd like to start with you, Manuela. Could you tell me a little bit about, you've, you've been in the healing arts for a long time. You've been in African spirituality for a long time. And it seems like you continue to develop putting people's well-being, wholeness at the center of your work. And so I'd love to hear a little bit how you came to realize that this was something that you needed to be to be doing. Sure. So first of all, thank you, Francisca, for having me in this sacred conversation to, you know, irrespective of all of the different walks of life and careers and yes, industries at the heart of what I've been searching for at every different organization that I worked in was, how are we going to be well together and find our way to that? I would say like my first memories of exposure to like healers was my mother My mother used to read La Taza de Café, which is like a practice that I've definitely seen in Dominican Republic. I don't know if other countries or other Latino, Latinx people engage in it, but people used to come to her. She was super loving and friendly, the kind of woman who gives you the shirt off her back. But she would make all sorts of friends who would say, you know, Doña Lupe, can you give me a message from the other side? And she would gladly sit with you, make a cup of coffee. You would then give her the last little bit of sips in the coffee cup. She would flip it up, bless the cup, say your name, flip it upside down, and then put it over the the stove until the the dripping coffee would dry up in, in patterns. And then she would look at it and read it. And for a long time, I remember thinking, you know, mom, how do you know that this shape is a letter or this shape is a... Uh, a future husband or this shape signifies the police. How do you know that? Like, what is it about the shape? And I didn't realize until later that it was her own cuadro espiritual, her own spirit guides informing her about the remedies that this person was seeking. I fast forward a little bit uh, in middle school when she took me to meet Cabeza de Misterio, which is a Afro-Dominican healers from our practice our folk religions, I guess you could say, which is La Ventiuna División, where we believe in God and there's a lot of syncretism with Catholic saints, but it's essentially an understanding of 21 different categories of spirits and deities entrusted to like 
govern <laughs> the world and be in relationship with people. And once you develop and believe in them, you could request their assistance for all of the different challenges in your life. So I went, I went with her to meet Belkis, who in the daytime was a beautician, such a Dominican name, Belkis. <laughs> and she was an amazing beautician. But, I, you know, when we would come visit at night, we would bring a cigar and a small bottle of rum. And suddenly I would hear Belkis not be this beautiful, very dainty woman, but have a very strong masculine voice. And she would become, or through Belkis would arrive Papa Candelo, who would tie a red handkerchief around his head, smoke his cigar, and tell you about yourself. <laughs> and I always, um, you know, the first time I saw my mother go and hang out with Papa Candelo, I, I was in complete disbelief, right? I grew up with my father, who was a mystic and was raised in the Rosicrucian tradition. But my mother was always doing these African things behind his back. And he would really threaten her and say, if I see you engaging in these practices, you know, we're going to get divorced. He, Although he was the darker of the two, he had the most internalized racism around what these practices mean. I didn't come to find out many, many years later that my father was actually an assistant to his father, my abuelo, the late Manuel, who was also a cabeza de miterio for the 21 divisions. But that was way later on. In the meantime, he would essentially do everything he could to control and discourage my mother from empowering herself with information, knowledge, remedies. But, you know, she was born this way and she knew it was in her essence. And so she found every opportunity to make an excuse and escape and get away and brujial, the, the way I would say. Te vas a brujial con Belkis. And she would go happily, um, but in secret. So she always took my older sister. One day I convinced her to take me. And that encounter changed my life. I, um, though Papa Candelo came down on Belkis's head and told me about this boyfriend that I was convinced was a complete secret to everybody in my family. This was a time before Facebook and, and texts and letters and emails. There was no way they could have known. My parents did not speak English. I had gotten a scholarship to a private school, and they didn't know any of the parents at the school. It was like a firewall. I thought I was safe for sure. And Papa Candelo said to me, that little boy that, that you like, the half Dominican, half white boy, he's a nice boy. But remember, you're too young to have relations with him. I was mortified. <laughs> totally shouted me out. The spirit out of you. And I was like, oh, okay, great. This is for real. And she never took me again until until I find my way back to it many, many years later through doing, get, got out of college. Uh, my last semester there, I ended up doing a study abroad in Brazil where I wanted to study the, the Black power movement and Black women's leadership in the movement. And I spent a month in Salvador asking Black women organizers, like, how do you do what you do? Um, what are you fighting for? And they took me to a bunch of candomblé um, ceremonies. Mm. And I was baffled because I thought, okay, but we're organizing. So tell me about this organizing and why are we talking to Arisha? Um, and I was still struggling to understand the connection, but it was at the heart of what sustained them to do the work that they did, fighting for their communities and 
uh, supporting young people. And what they thought was critical was for me to start there. And so I did some organizing and then I found myself depleted and really hopeless hearing the stories day in and day out of our people and the suffering that they were going through in the Hunts Point section of the South Bronx, where I was from, and was feeling ragged physically, uh, emotionally, spiritually, and just feeling like the, the size of oppression was insurmountable and our people were just barely struggling to make ends meet, never mind talk about volunteer to go to a meeting and fight for power, right? It wasn't until the drum arrived at those meetings and Afro-Puerto Rican bomba came and was centered in some of those meetings that I started to see that what we're really doing is reconnecting to what we already know about how to be together and how to build relationship and how to manage emotions and how to articulate our values in a fully embodied way, not just through what we say, but how we dance, what we believe, our singing, our relationship. And it was through those drumming experiences that I wanted to dig deeper. What is this technology of Afro-Caribbean roots music? And why is this missing in so many of these organizing spaces? When this is what's making people finally connect, drop into their own bodies and smile and want to be together again. And that's what got me going into looking for traditional, entre comillas, right, into our healing practices. And what Mm -hmm. I found was, you know, I was in a crew of folks who were drumming and dancing and researching the origins of these words that we knew were not Spanish. And we're like basically like self-made historians and talking to our elders and learning about these practices. And we started to find ethnic groups that were common threads as sources of origin to the drumming that we were doing. So that's how I found Congo and Central African practice. That in the bomba that we were practicing, in the tuning of my Afro-Dominican drums, in some of the names of these rhythms, some of the ways of relating to each other, a lot of that was coming from Central African philosophy and cosmology. And that's how I got to Palo Mayombe. So at the time I met uh, my current husband, the one, the only one I've had. In this life, in this life. The late Florencio Miguel Garzón Ibae, my padrino Luanganga con su paso andile. And that's how I found out. Mm that Congo was everything. Like, not only did I know that this was my home because of how I felt when we drummed and sat in front of the sacred receptacles that were portals for these healing energies. And I'm talking about a tiny little project apartment in Spanish Harlem where his temple was also his bedroom, was also the waiting room for clients, was the the family sitting area, like it was all of these things. And he was what our people say in eminencia and knowledge. So Padrino was the head of our Palo House, which is Behupun Finda and Sasimona Filo Bataya Sacampeño. And at the time, we did not know this because all we thought was, oh, here's this like really charming, short, heavy set, uh, kind, kind of rough and gruff. Cuban 
a man who is a beautiful singer and knows thousands of songs and people rumor him to be a really powerful healer or brujo, right? The misnomer for like really a doctor, a traditional doctor who knew so many plants, so many remedies, knew the graphic writing system, knew the origins of all these houses. And we came to, I came to find out many, many years later, like the value of this elder um, who had struggled through migration, through low-income housing, through challenges of street life, um, through family separation, through racial discrimination, through spiritual warfare, you name it. Like all of the things that our communities have have survived in this world. And I just was a first-hand witness to, you know, I'm sitting in the company of a king, right? So these houses are led by elders Mm -hmm. and these elders are They've gone through decades of training and and schooling, you know, Padrino, his grandmother was an elder in this religion and they initiated him super early on as a child. And he didn't go and play basketball or baseball, probably what they would have been playing in Cuba. He went to his Padrino's house after school and was working, learning the plants, going to the monte, picking the plants, officiating, supporting his uncle to officiate the ceremonies. And really, really a devoted student of these practices. And that's how he gets to us as the head of his house, the oldest Palo house in Cuba from the first lineage. There's multiple ranches, Mayombe, Kimbisa, Briumba, Chamalongo. Mayombe is the oldest branch. And Padrino at the time was the head of the oldest house of the oldest branch. And if you saw him, you would not believe it. He had his gold chains. He used Mm -hmm. to wear this wife beater tank top with a lot of little holes. So you could see all the chest hair and all the tattoos (laughs) and all the fabulous cuteness. (laughs) Okay. Sounds very familiar. (laughs) But when he sat down and talked to you about Palo and sang Mambo and talked about the stories, explained how nature works and why, which animal trumps what animal in in nature and how they interact, like the knowledge and the depth of science, astrology, um, epidemiology, botany, uh, psychology, all of it put together. And the, the power that this individual contained was not just him you were contending with. It was mm-hmm. like the lineage, the, you know, centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries up until that very first ancestor that Padrino had worked hard to tap into and be a vessel for. And that's a huge responsibility as a Afro-Cuban man in a low-income environment with people who had witnessed and could speak to the power of your ritual and the healing properties of it and still dealing with all of the challenges of, you know, the things I mentioned earlier and I knew I was holding a, a, a paradox. And I knew that this was something really that had helped us see our people through slavery. It had helped see our people through bondage and suffering. And even in the name of our house, Behuko and Finda, Behuko being the vine that tangles, we tangle and tie up all that which does not serve us, which seeks to oppress us. 
But then we form a pact with Batalla Sacampeño. We also break free the bonds and the chains of all that which sought to enslave us. And so it's like the duality at the center of our um, spiritual belief system. We tie up the bad. We tie up the, the colonizer. We tie up the enslaver, the misogynist. All of those forces, we tie up those who believe in capitalism over human dignity. All of those forces that have sought to strip us from our harmonious coexistence with nature, we tie them up. And then we break free everybody who has been subjected to this. And that's the fundamental, that is the mandate of the house. That's the mandate of Mayombe, of Congo religion. And it's, it's a, we're still growing into what it means to fully embody that. We are younger people leading this house now in the United States. My husband is the leader of the house in, in New York um, and represents all of the Behu Confina Batalla Sacampeño houses in the United States. And he will be 40 soon, <laughs> but we're still children learning, learning about this. We're fortunate to be in communication with our elders in Cuba, in Orozco in particular, from the Bejuco and Finda line. I want to give a shout out to our Tatandi out there in Orozco. Bello, who is 90 and tiny and has the most delicious, wonderful laugh and is so loving and is also revered as one of the most powerful medicine men in, in the country, right? Um, said with as much respect as fear, right? that I feel like just his existence for us gives us hope that we can return to or create again the pathway to self-defining what are the values and the systems and the ways of living together that will restore us into balance with nature, with each other, with our ancestors who've been here all along watching and waiting for our return. And I'm so grateful, just grateful to have... I don't know how the hell a Dominican girl got pulled by her Congo ancestors to take this post and learn and move and take action and support others in, in our learning. But they, when they want something, I say they, the ancestors, <laughs> they will go through every means to get it. And they pull, they did. And I, and I arrived willingly because it's, it's, it's really powerful to know the, the, the legacy that we're sitting on. And our inheritance. So grateful for your mother and all, all that came before her because, you know, she in in defiant she defiantly followed what her ancestors were saying and also, you know, empowered you to to do the same. And so grateful to her and her ancestors. And then also, yeah, there's no coincidences at all. And yeah, all the reasons you said is how the Dominican girl ended up finding <laughs> this tradition and the path. And I'm excited about all that you still have to sort of, that your ancestors still have to reveal to you in your path. And I remember when I met you, the first time I ha- I literally saw you was when we were both in the Center for Third World Organizing program called MAP. Back then, it was called Movement Activist Departure Program. I think the name changed, but this was the Bay Area um, six-week program for baby, baby, baby activist organizers. And and I walked into the this 
big it was a big victorian house that was totally haunted and really scary and you were like the one person <laughs> that took me seriously because i was freaked out the entire time but i remember walking in and you had like i don't know four women sitting around you who were also part of the program and you were just telling them about the orishas and i was like who is this girl? And she's got an audience and everything she's saying is really fascinating. Mm -hmm. And I want to hear, you know, and I just remember sitting sort of far, you know, on, the, on one of the bunk beds and just sort of listening. And I think you had recently traveled to Brazil and, and was really excited about what you were saying. And, wow. and here we are today. <laughs> so many years later, both initiates of, you know, particular traditions and still talking about Orisha. So I'm really humbled that you're one of the first people that I ever heard actually speak about the, the tradition and, and about our ancestors and about these really powerful deities. So yeah. I'm grateful for your path. And Manuel, I've known Manuel almost as much as I've known Manuela. <laughs> Manuel was one of my mentors in Los Angeles and now one of my peers. Or at least I like to think I'm closer to his level now. <laughs> Uh, thanks to all his teachings and, and, and that of others in the space that we were. And one thing about Manuel is he is, his memory is photographic and I'm so jealous of it because in this tradition, you really need a good memory. So, which I don't necessarily have. And he's a history book. He's like the people's historian. And um, I keep bugging him about opening up his own museum and doing all kinds of things that I'd love for our people to have. But He's on a path right now as a student and and also kind of a bruja himself. But I'd love to hear a little bit from you, Manuel, about, about this path and how you, yeah, how you sort of begun your love of history, your love of, of our people. And, um, and yeah, how, how is it that you ended up, you know, here where you are now as a PhD candidate in Nuevo Mexico? Well, and then also talk about the this path of being a Salvi Chicano who also found, you know, a West African sort of pathway. You know, I think when I really have to think about what shaped me and who I am and, and what ultimately led me to this path of struggle, you know, I, I would say three things that are really critical. One was that I was raised by all women, mainly my grandmother and my mother who are from El Salvador and very powerful women that, you know, helped raise me. I was, you know, I, I'm one of those weird experiences where I'm, I'm the sole child and was raised by my mom and, and, and my grandmother. And they were both very powerful women. And, you know, one of my first memories ever in my life is my grandmother would, would do these uh, sobadas in my stomach. Which she would massage my stomach and my grandma uh, obviously is all colonized people was deeply religious very catholic but i would remember i sometimes confuse both her massages with her other teachings and and i always would remember when she was massaging me and it would often be early early in the morning before the day started and it's sort of in my mind what i remember now is she's talk about how you know obviously this is a very biblical Catholic sort of mm -hmm. belief, which is that we were all, you know, molded out of clay or molded out of, you know, some some earth element uh, to help form us, which, of course, then in many ways, many indigenous people around the world believe a very similar thought about this molding of the human body 
by celestial spiritual beings or a maker that is making a person. And I, and I often think of that, those moments uh, as that kind of spiritual moment that I had with my grandmother mm-hmm. who was molding me in many ways. And I, I think in many ways, her touch was trying to pass through a history of struggle, a history of joy, a history, a, a very sad history. My People, the Salvadoreño people are just like most people, third world people around the world have suffered massively under Spanish colonization, under so-called independence that isn't really independence because it's been under U.S. control and U.S. destructive nature of our people and traditions. The other thing that I share with a lot of Salvadoreños is that while I would say we are ethnically, racially indigenous people, it was stripped of us through genocide and and sort of repressive sort of uh, nature of constant uh, violence that continues to this day. That That is the people who are escaping the isthmus. It's this sort of destructive system that is. And so in many ways, I would say that's my first sort of like, what brought me to this world, right? And what, what shaped me into this world and because of that, I had a lot of yearnings of like understanding things. And you know, one of my, one of the things that, you know, it's funny that I, I'm all head. I'm all, I'm all ideas. I'm all, you know, probably all head and all, and all heart. And mm-hmm. I, I think of one of the things that I remember as a kid reading, and I, I started reading by myself very young. And I wasn't a nerdy kid. I, I sucked at school. You know, I, I kind of like, did not do well in school, didn't like school, but I love, I, I somehow got into reading stuff and discovering things. And and I remember reading this article about El Salvador, about this little town that had been basically buried and sort of, and at the same time maintained through a lava volcano ash that had, I guess, gone off a thousand years ago. And it kind of maintained both the living quarters and the food stuff and sort of gave you a good sense of what it was. And and they discovered this right during the, the height of the war during the eighties in Salvador. And I, I think they call it Las Joyas de Seren, I think. And, mm-hmm. and what I remember of that article of all the things, and I remember I'm, I, I couldn't have been even 10, maybe I was 10. And I remember the thing I remember most about that article was that it said that the anthropologist could tell that, by the food that they had in those villages or in that village, that, that buried village, people had a better living diet condition than they, than the, you know, the current peasant in El Salvador. Mm. And it made me think like, well, what the hell, why is that? You know, if, if you assume, you know, you're now in, in the, in with much more progress and in the future that people would live better. And in fact, you know, it sort of gave me a sense of why the hell people were risking their lives and risking war and struggle against clearly a system that undermined even the possibility of how we lived at one time. So I, I think of that as a, another piece of my thing. And the last thing, you know, for me in terms of like, spirituality and what brought me here you know I was never a great Catholic just like I was never a good student but (laughs) I remember you know my stepfather died very young and I was there Uh, he worked at we we used to work at this factory and he was killed by this machine there and you know obviously it, it 
it's come with a lot of trauma and a lot of like heartache and a lot of trying to figure out what the hell to think about that moment. But obviously it shaped me in so many ways. But one of the things that I remember was I was very angry at God. You know, I was very angry mm-hmm. at the God that they had taught me for a long time. And because I'm like, well, how could a God take somebody that early in his life and in such a violent way, you know? And I would say that in many ways, my coming into the movement had those two, that 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 reality, that duality that was playing out there for me. On one hand, it was a guidance of like, I don't want anybody else to ever die like this in this way, you know, or the kind of suffering that my people have gone through. I want to try to eliminate. I want to destroy that, which was a, been a big vi- guiding through. On the flip side, it also what meant that I was just in some ways looking for a spirituality explanation to how to think about this moment. Mm-hmm. And, and then it all sort of happens through the travels of the world. And it's the funny thing about, you know, one of the first things that you do when you become sort of a ex-official member or official member of the left is, of course, you go to Cuba. <laughs> and, and in Cuba, you know, I went for the uh, 50th anniversary of the uh, attack on the, Mon- on the Moncada. We went to Santiago. And, you know, one of the, at that moment, one of the things that the, the folks would show you around was that these spiritual houses that were being built, not only by the community, but also supported by the government. And sort of like, I guess, I don't know how I would describe the space. It's sort of like almost every, you know, um, West African and African diaspora sort of spiritual practice sort of under one roof. And of course, you know, while I sort of had uh, read and, and exposed in that way, sort of on an intellectual level, the practices of Santeria and Osha and some the practices in, in, in Afro-Cuba, it was there that, um, of course, they said, well, who wants to who wants uh, to meet a, a, spirit, uh, a spiritualist, you know? And she was, mm-hmm. uh, she read cartas. And I, I, of course, you know, I, being a good Catholic and, you know, and uh, that, you know, I was like, nah, I'm not really into, and, you know, super political. I'm like, nah, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not here for that. that but the but, <laughs> but I was the only one that could translate. And so, you know, um, and I remember that experience, I, I will never forget because, while most of it was for me as a translator, right? The and you know and you and you, and just like Manuela was talking about, you know, the revelation that she had in front of everyone else. These were very deep things that this woman was telling. And again, the, this trip was also with some very amazing elders and and uh, and veterans. And the things that I was both hearing and having to translate to me made me think about you know, again, sort of this this gap that I felt of this great loss that I felt and sort of a, a deeper understanding that I needed to figure out. And, you know, that is what brought me to Ifa. And in many ways, obviously, this is sort of how circles kind of, kind of connect, right? I come back to, you know, Strategy Center after coming going to Cuba. And um, lo and behold, one of one of the people who had been t- 
tied to the strategy center had become a Babalao. And funny again, you know, I've always been that kind of person who I guess in, in Jewish tradition, they would call you a mensch, you know, like I, I always know <laughs> stuff. I always know people. I always try to connect people. You know, I always try to do that thing. And I was, I always tell people like, Oh, y'all should go see Babalao, you know, uh, Amos. You guys should go visit him if you're having some issues. And, but it was almost like I was the, I was like the the hustler of the person who never actually tried it, and you were. <laughs> and uh, but you know, in some ways, that that led for my own sort of trajectory. And I think what I found the most in in Ifa is sort of a uh, what I call like a materialist spirituality, because more than anything, what I've learned is how do you build your best self, your best to be the most present about your own strengths, about your own weaknesses. How do you sort of shine your own character by your actions and not so much by your words has been sort of that guiding principle and that kind of peace that would, that I've been able to find. And, you know, that I feel has been so instrumental even in how I conduct myself in this work has been what has brought me to this moment and has brought me to this work to try to continue to build. And, you know, I, I still see myself, you know, I, I guess I got to find the right word, but I do still can see myself as that sort of connector, that person that can connect folks to connect them to knowledge, to connect them to struggle, connect them about the lessons that we need to do. These are all going to be critical components for any possibility for our people's survival and in, in the survival of this planet. That is what, you know, is sort of where I, I find myself today. This this path of trying to become um you know, to, to be an academic to me is, is not my, my sort of life path as much as sort of an opportunity just to take a breather about what I've done, what I know and what still needs to be done. And, and, um, I see that in that sense, my little moment of trying to figure that those questions out for myself now. Thank you, Manu. Very true. I think, you were actually the person that suggested to me for the first time ever to go see Amos, who is a Babalawa, a traditional priest of Ifa. And that's how I ended up literally finding the tradition. And so <laughs> speaking of being the connector, the organizer that you are, and then I think it sort of came back full circle in the sense that then a group of us, myself, Patrice Colors, and others were like, Manuel, you got to come. <laughs> you got to go see him too. You got to go, you know, check out this space. And so really grateful for, there's like, in our tradition, we believe there's, um, there's a spiritual sort of community in heaven, which is the other, the dimension that we actually do come from, because this is not our home. And I believe that then those, that spiritual community manifests here in, in the world. And I think that there's no coincidence on who you're tied to, who you connect, where you're led to by others. And so I think that, yeah, that um, a spiritual community, which I'm sure we're part of the same circulo in heaven, also part of the same circle here. I'm so grateful for that. Really grateful for that. And also for your grandma and your mother. And I just keep thinking about the women in our lives and how that seems to be a theme with you two about the women in your lives as 
you know, complicated as they can be sometimes because moms and grandmas and, you know, the matriarchs and families are, they also are powerful. They're powerful and their instincts are there and their wisdom and that's ancestral. I'm so grateful for that. Well, thank you both for sharing. What I want to jump into is a little bit of the conversation. I think both of you covered it. If folks have been listening, I think one of the, the biggest conversation or the, the central conversation, central question is like, what are we healing from? And I think that to some degree, both of you all covered like what will be necessary and what sort of awaiting for us in, in some ways or another. I think your lives are sort of a manifestation of what could be on the other side in some ways and some level of transformation and a journey that we could walk. But, and again, this is a conversation like I'm here and, you know, I'm quote unquote host, but like, I want to have a conversation with y'all about what you all feel that we're actually need to tend to. There are, there's a lot, there's many of us who might be listening, who, you know, don't have a spiritual tradition, like, the three of us do or who haven't been necessarily in it for years or are just sort of trying to figure out um, individually and collectively, I think within organizations, within community, as individuals, like, I know something's wrong. I know, you know, they're saying to themselves, I know something's wrong. I know that there's so much more. I know that I'm not well. And I know that I need to do something about it. And so I'd love to, to talk to you all about what you think we need to, to tend to and it's a big question, clearly, because there's a lot of factors. But yeah, I'd like to throw that question out to you all, whichever of you would like to kind of take it on. I can start a little bit. I mean, I was talking this over with uh, my husband, Alex, this morning. And and I asked him, you know, because he's the one who primarily conducts the divinations in our home. And and I was, I'll sit in and support and assist, but... It's, he's the one who in constantly interfacing with people, often who come, when they come for the first time, many of them come in crisis. So I asked him, hey, honey, you know, like, what are the typical challenges folks are facing when they come to you? And, you know, one of the big ones he lifted up was um, depression and sadness and some emotional instability. And it's not out of it's not unlike the statistics that we know are affecting many communities, particularly communities of color, particularly like Native communities, Latina communities. Folks are sad for many, many reasons. And I think when we think that it's a, it's something we're sad because something is not working out only in our own life, we risk becoming disconnected from others, from community, from we don't, maybe many communities don't have like the infrastructure of healing required, whether that be like medical care that's being threatened increasingly for um, immigrant and Latino communities and many, many communities of color, but also just like, just like time for connection. Like a lot of the folks who come for readings are working class, sometimes unemployed and when they're working class, they're working so hard that there isn't time to cultivate family bonds. There isn't time to really relax and have downtime and build with neighbors and friends and family. There's either a culture of like violence in communities, mostly and when they're not violent, they're being policed as if they were violent, which in itself is the source of the violence in a lot of communities. So folks are struggling, you know, I feel like 
they're sad for so many reasons and some a lot of the reasons are created by systemic oppression right by like lack of housing lack of affordable living wage jobs just lack of like family support networks a lot of different challenges and so that's a big one i think what we're trying to be for people is a portal for them to try to understand what's out of harmony personally and individually, but to activate like the imagination for what is possible. What would you like to feel and how would you like to be? And then help enlist the support of the ancestors and the Nkisi and the Mpungu, these, um, the spirits of nature to help realign them and find balance help find and activate and catalyze some action for creating this other way that they want to be. That they, the other kind of life that maybe sometimes we forget we deserve. And when we do know we deserve it and when we know what we want, there's some obstacles in the way to obtain it. So creating a sense of agency and courage and faith that you can produce that and then a, a support network. So our Munanso, our house, um, a lot of us share similar political views, similar historical and social conditions. Ironically, there's a good number of like artists and educators and cultural workers and community people in our house as well. I guess we find each other. And then we, we really try to be there for each other in solidarity. So, you know, oh, our brother needs a job. So activate the network. Who knows somebody? What's happening? Right. Or, oh, this sister is going through a hard time. You know, who's going to chime in and support? Every month we get together and send um, resources to our elder in Cuba for many different reasons. Right. For them to sustain and take care of themselves. Recently, it was because of the, the storm. You know, so just like practicing being in collective work and care for each other. But. Through also, but also practicing and supporting each person in finding their way back to themselves, right? Into reconnecting to that essence of that God energy inside all of us and remembering who we are and who our, our abuelitas, Manuel, have molded us to be and their wish and their hope for us through all obstacles, right? And that requires recalibrating certain things in your life spiritually, and also tough conversations, some truth-telling, some let me tell you about yourself and the things you couldn't see, back to my original example, and then also like love, right? A lot of folks who come, you know, economic um, marginalization, racism, that where it takes a toll on your health and your psyche and your emotions and your body. And so folks need a lot of a lot of like reminders and, and sustenance. And that happens together. We do that together, right? When we break bread, when we have drummings, when we hang out, when we on our Facebook page, on text, you know, through conversations, through whatever we can do to like help soothe the, the anxieties of living in, in the realities that we're all living in right now. So to your question, Francisca, earlier, like what needs to be healed, you know, I find I have found a sense of protection and strength in the face of 
our realities as people of color under this administration and historically, right? And then I just had to be reminded, like, listen, we've survived worse. Trump is not the worst thing that has ever happened to us. Like, we've been through that and worse, and we endured. We know how to endure, and this is what helped us endure. So we've had to get better at receiving uh, people who are looking for backup, really, looking for belonging, looking for um, a reminder about the, our eternal essence. Um, we're going to get through this. We are getting through this. <laughs> And we're going to make it, and it's going to be good. We just need to put in that work, but ultimately hold on to that faith. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I strongly agree with everything that Manuela has, has raised. And I, I think the first context is that I do think we need revolution. That is still a true question, and it and has mm -hmm. to be an open question for all of us. Now, it won't be easy, but it never has been. It's going to be complicated. It will be very hard in the context of this country in particular, because we definitely need a, you know, a radical transformative change in our economic, political, communal, gendered, environmental sort of values that we have. And you know, I think the other thing that uh, we need a revolution that is much more plausible is the revolution of the values and our, you know, our cosmos and our visions that have to see beyond the system itself. Because why this system is maintained is because all of us, you know, all of all the suffering, all of what all that kind of smoking mirrors and illusions that, you know, why people are depressed is because they sell you a certain set of values of this is what's going to make you happy, you know, continue to buy, have this beautiful house, have this sort of, uh, you know, the picket fence with the perfect husband or wife, and you have to be, you know, heteronormative and, you know, and, and this is who, we, this is what, is all happiness. And I think all of those are in, in reality, are all illusions of mm -hmm. the way that the system itself sustains itself. Right. Or this is what beauty is supposed to be. And I think that is the thing that we can, that that's the one thing that we can try to do. Not to say that revolution is impossible. It's just would be very hard given, you know, this, how this country was shaped. It's, you know, it's how much it spends on its military, how ultimately violent it would be. I remember this, you know, very mainstream politician once speaking and, you know, he, he had been, um, he had been, uh, you know, one of the, he had been radicalized during the Chicano power movement in the Southwest. And he would say that, you know, he would tell his his mom, like, mom, we're going to take over, you know, the Southwest and, you know, we're going to be, we're going to build our own nation. And she says, mijo, you know, they'll bomb this period, this place before they give it to you back. And I, and I've, I've always thought about that because obviously that probably what's made, made him into a Democrat rather than a revolutionary. But Aww. I also think that that is the, that is one possibility. The other possibility is for us to do everything in our power to make those spiritual, political, you know, values that can, that need to be shifted. And I think a lot of that is both two critical things that Manuela's already raised that I think is very critical for us is one is 
how do we like summon and restore our own historical memory, right? If we think of, you know, this will be the 500 years when Cortez arrives to Mexico, right? This, this year. And if we think of only these last 500 years, then, then we're done. We have to think that human existence has been here much deeper, longer, that our people, it's hard to say that we were free because even under those systems, there had been some level of hierarchy, some level of, you know, of some people having and others not having. But the reality is, is what kept people evolving, what kept people together, what allowed the so-called human species to continue to thrive was our collective ability to struggle. And I think that's mm-hmm. going to be a very critical aspect of how we think of it. Not think of all the beautiful history of the last 500 years, which there has been a lot of struggle. There has been a lot of moments of openings, a lot of moments of, you know, of what we should be cherishing. And obviously there's also been a lot of pain and, and, and suffering and trauma that, you know, in many ways, it, it, it's in undoubtedly that we're carrying it in our own DNA. Um, but those are, that's one aspect of how do we sort of summon and restore our historical memory and also not allow it to be, you know, trashed, which is what I ultimately think that is also happening is that there's a trashing of our own historical memory of even Im- imagining a different possibility. And I think that's the second piece, which is the dreaming. You know, my, my, my partner, Noemi, does a lot of this dreaming. And, you know, every morning she tells me, you know, what her dreams are about. I'll have to be honest. Most of the times I think the, the dreams aren't that profound, but then other times there are. And, um, but I also think in many ways, that's the other thing that we have to um, um, think about is, can we dream something different? Because again, what this system does m- most effectively is to imagine that this, that um, you can, it, it it creates these illusional dreams of what we we should pursue in this moment, and you know I think this has very much to what I've learned in in, in Ifa, but you if you read it also in, in indigenous text about how the dream state really is reality, and that in many ways this this moment this sort of material thing that we live in is you know the marketplace, and unfortunately this is not the good marketplace. This is the marketplace of destruction, and how do we sort of wake up? You know, this is why I also like all the little sci-fi stuff, because how do we wake up from this sort of illusional life that we have? And that's going to be critical for us to try to imagine something different. How do we believe in utopias? How do we break the sort of individualism of, of, of who we are? Has to be, you know, done. And I think the only thing which is what Manuela also hit is this collective possibility right nothing we cannot silo this by ourselves no 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 matter how much self-help groups uh, and, and books we read and <laughs> no no matter how much you know uh we we try to sort of foster a certain you know characteristic of of being our best selves freedom cannot be won solely through that process it has to be a collective process it has to imagine that you know while there's there's three of us you know there is you know uh, hundreds of millions of people that um are also in the same journey and are all trying to figure out very similar questions who have you know who have shared and differentiated um forms of oppression and traumas 
that they're looking for. But collective struggle is the only way that we'll be able to to find peace. We'll, we'll be able to find ourselves in many ways to to be able to listen to what elders have to say. You know, the other thing that I forgot to mention I, that I still think I feel very fortunate is one of the things that I appreciate the most about Strategy Center, which was when I did work with a lot of young people and I saw a lot of young people come through. And as Francisca said, many of them have surpassed even their own teachers in, in what they're doing in the world. But the other thing is that we found all these amazing elders from all walks of life that I still carry. Many of them think think the Lord are still alive. Some of them are not, but that I still think of them about like, man, you know, like Manuela said, you know, like life is hard right now under uh, Trump, but, you know, I've lived now 45 years in this world. And I, I've, I also know there's been even harder times. Uh, and then there's been also these illusionary times where we think, oh, wasn't it great during, you know, Obama or Clinton or, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, someone else. But I, I know that the most harshest forms of wars were happening at that time. And yet we all had that illusion that we were okay. And I think that is the thing that we need to figure out. How do we break from the sort of illusional aspects of how this system is able to sustain itself and the way that it teaches us to hate ourselves, the way that it teaches us um, how to think that what what life and meaning has when in reality they're not. And, and I think those are the things that um, I'm still sort of hungry for. That's why, you know, I ultimately think that no matter how much work we do and, you know, and I, and I don't trash anything that I've done, you know, and I, I feel very fortunate about those, those small victories, those big victories, those young people who've come, you know, uh, who are coming behind or are moving already ahead. But we ultimately need a truly revolutionary possibility to change, not just ourselves, but the system to be able to try to free our people. A shame. I think it goes back a little bit to what you were saying, Manuela, about about coming back to ourselves, you know, and 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 that touch you touched on that too, Manuela, about ourselves as in like literally in like who we're supposed to be, who we are, and then also who we're supposed to be collectively. And I think we've, I think there's a lot of reminders of that constantly. I think that some of us are living in in it and out of it at different times. And I also think there's like, yeah, a huge um, sort of culture that is constantly trying to pull us in a different direction. And most definitely, I think, severing connections, severing belonging, first and foremost to ourselves, and then also to each other. And um, I think that some of the stuff you both put out about Allowing ourselves to dream, to imagine, allowing ourselves to walk ourselves back to ourselves, allowing ourselves to connect with others, um, to build community, and to yeah, and to not 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 allow ourselves to be crushed by, but what what seems to be a wave of the complete opposite of what we want to be. And and one thing I talked to an elder recently, she's a curandera. I felt really fortunate to speak with her. She was talking about being one of the descendants of Cuauhtémoc and the codices of the of the Mexica calendar and things that just, you know, I've been in African spirituality for a very long time and to, to meet an elder who's directly linked to, to my peoples is, is amazing. And so one of the things she said, I asked her, I was like, what is your hope? And, you know, my question I think was, 
narrow, I guess, as I thought, as I thought about her answer, which was like grand, you know, I was like, what is your hope for curanderismo? What do you hope, where do you hope to see it? Like, I know there's obviously, there might be fears about how it might be commercialized and like, what do you hope, where do you hope it'll be in the next 100, 200, 300, you know, 500 years? And and she sort of took it to a whole nother level. She's like, I'm not worried. She's like, I'm not worried about my traditions. I'm not worried about my people. She's like, we are... And it reminds me of what both of you were saying is like, we're older than dirt and we've been here and we have gone through a lot, both amazing stuff and, and we have a legacy and also a lot of pain and suffering. And, and you know, those those pyramids that sit there that people admire and go visit as tourists, like they're alive and they've been guarded and there's guardians there and the ancestors have guided us all the way here and that legacy and that like innate sort of blood memory so we're gonna be okay and I was like okay (laughs) gotcha you know like it was just a good reminder about like we are you know going back to what you were saying Manuela but like uh, and you too Manuela like this this isn't the worst we've seen and then also and it's also pretty bad and I think what we have to regain is ourselves we have to regain the collective and for those of us that have it I think cherishing it and figuring out how to continue to build connection and belonging and and in community. And so and that's a good reminder. I mean, one thing I would add to that, Francisca, too, I think is like, you know, we did, we do, we draw a letter for our house every year. And <clears throat> this year, the letter was calling us forth into our warriorship because of the endless barrage of like obstacles that will be coming our way. Um, and, you know, it's, I think the entire planet is probably anticipating a, a hard year in different ways, maybe except the elite. And even then, I think they're gearing up to continue to keep pressing hard. Some of those folks who are committed to violence and to oppression, like they're doing it, right? And and they're committed to their strategy. I think my question, you know, as we were sharing what the oracle had said for the year you know i could see the growth of fear in people in their body language and and we had to put all the information out there and then call us forth into our warriorhood and the legacy of being warriors especially in congo tradition where you know initially um as far as we know from some of the elders that we've met directly from the congo like Paloma Yombe, its parent tradition is Makisinti Malongo. And that's really like a practice that in itself, the name kind of talks about, you know, it's definitely healing in nature, but there's other ways where they refer to the practice as something that's like that, the force of nature like that can destroy. And that is an understanding of what God energy is. When we break down the meaning of Sambia or Sambi, like the horrific, terrific force. And you you say to yourself, wow, like that's what we call God. And in a way, we embrace and completely surrender to that force. But we also exercise agency and understand that like their nature destroys when she has to to restore balance. And there's parts of who we are as Mayomberos that require a disposition to destruction 
in our own lives of all that which does not serve us, right? But also to to Manuel's point, the systems that are not that are failing us. And I think that like this year we're being called to like lean in to to battle. And that's the guiding um, and energy that of attacks are going to come and we need to lean into battle and that we have to develop a healthy relationship with the fear that that invokes in our bodies, in our minds, in our spirit, in our community. And we have to support each other to, to G up and get strong, right? Because <laughs> the Congos were like the, many of them were, were supreme warriors. Like if they were working on the fields and slavery, they were the ones launching the revolts. And that's some of how people maybe try to diminish the courage that it takes to be that warrior, to be the first one out in front, to like stand in front of the fire, right? But I do think that there's ways that we can all do that gracefully in our respective fears, whether by advocating for higher for higher values at the risk of your personal comfort, by calling forth like all of us to pay attention to the, the most vulnerable or the most marginalized by asking those challenging questions around the redistribution of resources or just supporting folks, right? And or even just saying, okay, I'm gonna go with you and we're gonna we're gonna have that tough conversation with this person that it has completely like terrorized you <laughs> your entire life. Like we will go and you're brave and strong and you can do this, right? If this is what you feel you must do. I feel like that the knowing of how to move despite fear is what we were asked to really embrace this year. That means like get comfortable with red, get comfortable with the heat, get comfortable with the with the energy of like confrontation, but be skillful about it. Almost like strategy, organizing strategy but also like in your personal relationships. So we receive that with, um, <laughs> you know, there's a sense of dread when it's like, oh, another hard year. <laughs> but, you know, they get revisado, no muere soldado. You know now, so now you know how to orient yourself to the challenges that lie ahead for all of us. Um, and we've seen coming that have long been brewing and and here we are, right? So let's 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 do this. Let's get ready. And let's be proactive about our response. But that's one of the things that, like, we've inherited that historically through the organization of these religious houses, of the African cabildos who had their alternative governance structures, who were just helping us remember, like, we had our own elders, our own laws, our own kings and queens, our own methods of checks and balances and accountability that exist outside of Western these Western conceptions, so don't forget them. And give value to them on the street, even as we live in this dimension here, in these spaces. Like, we have our own alternative systems, and we give those legitimacy by honoring them, learning them, participating in them, and, and activating them as much as we can in these places that we, we often have to move. Well, I was thinking about when Manuel, I was talking about the warriorship. I, you know, I think this is where, you know, I know, I know I was kind of knocking the self-help stuff, but it, it is about how do we believe about building our own character, right? Um, you know, being here in Albuquerque and, you know, we are, you know, I kind of, 
you know, obviously growing up in LA and growing up primarily among Mexicanos and, you know, um, sort of seeing a lot of this sort of, you know, embracement of indigenous thought and, 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 and recovery. But it's also deeper here where you also are literally uh, in a land that people have been here for tens of thousands of years. And, you know, I think a lot about trying to sort of come to grips with, you know, one is how do you build character, right? How do you build to be yourself? And, you know, this warriorship for me is about doing the work, right? I, I remember this a lot in, you know, sort of – you know, sort of the, I, I felt like the catechisms in Ifa a little bit, you know, about doing the hard work, doing, do, you know, tr- you know, uh, sort of keeping the, the, the course of, of the work that you need to do, uh, to, to, to sort of allow your character to speak for your, and your actions to speak for what you believe in. And here, you know, the Dene relatives and, and the Pueblo relatives talk a lot about how, how are you a good relative, right? And, it's funny because I think of myself as a very conscious person, but in some ways I also come here um, trying to learn something new, which is that, you know, I don't think we think deeply enough about the sacredness of all of this land, you know, um, and the teachings that were here before us um, and the multiple sort of levels of conquest that have happened but yet, how do we become good relatives of where we reside, you know, and, and good relatives to um, how to think about this very destructive system that is destructing not just, you know, um, human life, but the planet itself, you know. Um, I think in many ways, it is that character that needs to be built of how do we build that kind of warriorship um, and sustainability that's going to be very, uh, and consciousness that's going to be very critical for me. You know, a, a year ago, I, I, I went to Venezuela and I went to the first eco-socialist international, international, mm-hmm. they called it, you know, and, and it was a very humble experience, but what was so beautiful about it was that we probably had about, I don't know, about roughly about 20 people from, you know, uh, 20 uh, uh, collectives from sort of indigenous nations throughout the Americas. We did it in the, um, we did it in a black township that was birthed out of a maroon, you know, um, um, you know, freedom resistance movement in Venezuela. And you read this, um, you know, this sort of manifesto that, that was created, that was created also in a very unique way that I had never experienced, which was almost like everybody got to throw in whatever you felt like you needed, you know, and you read this, this, um, this manifesto, I can't, I can't remember what it was called, uh, the Encuentro, uh, the first eco-socialist gathering, but, you know, it, it, it spoke about so many different things about both what we need, what we, how we need to change, and what can we dream for? And I think that that warriorship both has to be about how we grasp something as transformative of what that, 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 that program tries to say. And at the same time, you know, the warriorship for us to also think about, you know, how we're contributing. One of the things that becomes overwhelming about 
you know, a manifesto of that, of that size, because again, it, it went from food sovereignty to, you know, uh, gendered and sexuality and, you know, uh, liberation mm-hmm. to, you know, ending of like most imperialism. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, it's a, like most manifestos, exactly. But it is there because it's also happening, helping us to imagine something different. But more importantly, one of the things that I remember very much by the, 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 um, Afro-Venezuelan comrades was saying, you know, the way that we're eco-socialists is by us, obviously none, not one group, not one group of people, not one nation can build this kind of future, but it is how do we take one of these, you know, one just one of these things that is in this manifesto mm-hmm. to make it real. And that, you know, and how do we practice it every day in that way that, you know, builds that kind of muscle, that builds that kind of um, memory, that builds that kind of legacy for others who will follow us. And I think um, in that sense, you know, I, I, I really um, look forward to this kind of warriorship that we all are, 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 many of us have been doing for many years, but, you know, also to imagine, you know, how do we build that warriorship for, you know, a new generation and a new grouping of people that need to continue to continue to be under the fold. Oh, I'm so excited. This is exactly the kind of conversation that I envisioned we would be having. And it's manifesting. <laughs> Speaking of manifestos. <laughs> so this um, has given me a lot of joy today. And I hope it also brings a lot of whatever it is that brings for you out there in the world whether it's clarity, whether it's, you know, expansiveness, um, connection. I think there's some key things that came out that I'm learning a lot or that are affirming for sure. One is the piece around dreaming. Allow yourself to dream, both individually and collectively. Two is walk back to yourselves, ourselves, collectively and individually. Lean into the fear uh, what the time is calling for is, is for us to lean into the fear in a disciplined sort of way with, in connection with others and to build our warriorship. And then also to regain historical memory. That's a big one, too. So those are the things that I've gathered. There's so much more that I'm sure I'm going to gather once I listen to this again and that you all will collect from this conversation. And I just want to thank you both. I'm so grateful. Again, you really did, uh, for lack of a better word, bautizaron el, <laughs> el programa este in the best kinds of ways. And I guess the last thing I want to ask you all for is one, Manuel, if you could, the top three books in terms of regaining historical memory that you're so um, much encouraging us to do that you would recommend our people to read. And then Manuela, after that, is going to tell us a little bit of a, a remedio receta on a baño, a special bath, a spiritual bath. I, I also like to play with numbers. Numbers probably also another another conversation, another day. But you know, um, in terms of books and numbers, you know, this this year is the the two hundred fifteenth. Uh, anniversary of the Haitian independence movement, right? And, you know, so in that sense, I would recommend Black Jacobins if people haven't read that book by Sierra James. It's a beautiful book. Both he's funny and witty and shows you how what started as a, you know, spiritual revival by Bookman in 1791 led to the first Black Republic of the Western Hemisphere. And that it was a 13-year struggle of, of that where the Haitian folks uh, defeated not only the French, but the Spanish 
and the English and under the dangers of the United States. So, you know, Black Jacobins is a big one. This is also the 60th anniversary of the Cuban Revolution. And, you know, I always think of my trip to Cuba because, you know, they always talked about how uh, Fidel was a, a son of a Watala and that, um, you know, you can imagine if, you know, Fidel and his crew tried to attack the Moncada and they all got, you know, you read, you read a book like My Life, it's called My Life, uh, and you read the Moncada, the attack on the Moncada and, and, and it's both kind of like sad and hilarious mm-hmm. and like tragic, right? Because the car, the car that is supposed to, you know, uh, you know, uh, take them to the place to attack to Moncada doesn't work. Uh, some of the guns don't work. You know, they get caught really early, and that he lives, and then that he lives such a long life, right? And that um, whatever, whatever imperfections in that system still continues to be for me an important ability for mm-hmm. us to dream of something different. You know, the values are different. It's not a perfect society, but the values of what they both have done for the world and what they've achieved for their own peoples are still things that we need to learn from. And so, you know, I would think probably my life, if not, I would say, you know, uh, Man in Society by Che Guevara about this issue about how we as human beings, you know, both have always uh, uh, geared toward collectivity, but more importantly, how we need to find, you know, sort of a basis of life living that is not material based is that it needs to be based on our solidarity with each other and you know this is also the 25th anniversary now of the of the zapatista uprising and you know there's so many things so many other declarations but that sexta declaration and on and the recent sort of manifestos they've been putting out about what new challenges they have i think are all important pieces for us to learn so those are my numbers and books to uh, recommend. Thank you, Manuel. Anniversaries and books. Thank you. <laughs> Manuela? <laughs> sure. So I would encourage us to um, prepare a healing bath. And what we do is we grab either a bucket or a bowl or a hikara uh, made out of gourd and cut in half, a large gourd. And Grab about a gallon's worth of cool water and we pour it into the bucket and we understand water to be all that it is, right? Most of the planet, most of our body, the source of um, uh, the the portal for connecting with ancestors, life. If we had no water, we would not live, food would not grow, but really primarily as a conductor for spirit energy. And would encourage you to also buy a bunch of basil at the supermarket. So we picked a bath that we thought everyone could find, no matter where you are listening from. Hopefully you can find some basil, not in your backyard, then at the supermarket. And that is the bath that we recommend, right? And so as you prepare it, we ask you to really channel your intentions into the bath if you Believe in lighting candles to illuminate the way of your ancestors and all of the spirit guides that protect you. Light that candle, meditate on that light, and then you take the leaves from the stalks or the stems and you put it into the water and you pray. And as you pray, you scrub the leaves 
to release the essence of the basil plant into the water until the water feels very silky. And that is the time as you pray, you're asking for what the, the purpose of this bath is, which is the heart of what Paloma Yumba religion really is. And it's about balance. So you pray that it balances your aura, that it helps you return to yourself, that it helps you reestablish and strengthen your connection to your ancestors and to nature. And that is essentially the purpose of our practice. It's to be in a symphony, in harmony with divine energy and nature and ourself. And this is a bath that's very soothing, particularly if you have a lot of anxiety or a lot of um, sadness or anger. It's a very stabilizing and calming bath, very soothing bath. But one of the things that um, my my partner was sharing with me this morning is <laughs> this is not necessarily the bath to rip away negative energies. It's not the bath to attract money. <laughs> this is the bath to help you get a little bit closer to yourself and all that you were, you came with and all that you belong to, which is this totality, right? And your ancestry, your lineage, your nature. You are the nature. You are the divine. The divine is in you. And so that's what this bath is. And for people like me and for a lot of organizing folks, I'm not an organizer. I'm currently working in philanthropy. I organize at home, my crew and my godchildren and my family. So I guess I am organizing sometimes. Right. But this bath is especially helpful as, as we encounter more and more states of distress and suffering. And if you're even remotely an empath, that could take a toll on you. And so this is a really calming, soothing bath. This is also a bath that you can do frequently and it does not affect you in a negative way. You can pour it on your head. And, you know, if you have religious elders in any of these traditions, just double check with them that that plant does not um, disagree with any um, of their teachings, but enjoy, 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 and soothe and cool and return to yourself. Thank you, Manuela. Thank you both for sharing and for being on the podcast. And for all of you out there listening, we ask you, what's the first episode? But we'd love to hear feedback. So tell us what you thought of this episode. You can email us at lacurapodcast at gmail.com. Or you can like us on social media at La Cura Podcast, both on Instagram and Facebook. Also, make sure you subscribe and share with your friends. Thank you for listening to La Cura Podcast. This podcast is hosted and produced by me, Francisca Pochas Coronado, engineered by Michael Soto, edited by Rafael Maya. Our music is by Rafael Maya. Please subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can find us on social media at La Cura Podcast.